This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. Hello, my name is Tom Griffin, partner for our Middle East and Africa region. And today we'll be talking about our recently launched fifth edition of the Africa Risk Reward Index. The Africa Risk Reward Index is an authoritative guide for policymakers, business leaders, and investors that illustrates the evolution of the investment landscape in major African markets and provides a grounded, longer-term outlook of key trends shaping investment in these economies. Now, without a doubt, the COVID-19 pandemic has set back the economic progress achieved across the African continent in recent years. However, this should not deter investors. I'm joined by Barnaby Fletcher, who is our Associate Director leading the Control Risks Analyst Team for East and Southern Africa. Hi, Tom. Great to be here. Bukola Balanwa, an analyst with an in-depth knowledge of Anglophone West Africa. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. And I'm delighted to say that we're joined also by Jacques Nell, Head of Macro at NKC African Economics, the Africa-focused subsidiary of Oxford Economics. Hi, Tom. Thanks for the invite. Now, our three experts work with a number of leading companies operating across Africa, as well as clients considering their investment or growth plans across the region. So huge amounts of experience and expertise around today's subject. So let's launch straight into the Q&A. Barnaby, could you give us a brief overview of the African Risk Reward Index? Uh, in essence, what is the methodology behind it? And what are some of the key findings of this year's edition? Sure, Tom. The idea of the Africa Risk Reward Index is actually very simple. Control Risks and NKC African Economics come up with a series of risk scores and reward scores for 26 of the most interesting economies across Africa. The risk scores are based upon a series of political and economic measures, incorporating the risk of political instability, the security environment, trade risk, and so on. The reward scores are based on NKC's economics expertise and incorporate not just indicators such as GDP growth forecasts, but also more underlying factors such as the economic structure and demographics of each country. Of course, any ranking or index necessarily lacks nuance and detail, but we feel that the risk-reward index provides a useful snapshot of the continent that hopefully serves as a starting point for discussions and decisions. This year's edition has obviously been colored by COVID. And unfortunately, after seeing some significant improvements in the average risk-reward scores last year, we have now seen a substantial decline across every country. The risk scores are a bit more varied. So African governments have, in many cases, been very impressive in their responses to the COVID-19 pandemic. And by and large, we have not seen their legitimacy undermined or stability threatened. There are, of course, exceptions such as Mali, but the reward scores are uniformly down on the basis of some pretty gloomy economic outlooks that I am sure Jack can talk about in more detail. What I would say, though, and what we spend quite a bit of time exploring in the articles that accompany this year's index is that there are still positive trends for the continent as a whole, and still some pretty exciting opportunities for investors who are looking in the right places. And turning to you, Jack, 
economic growth forecasts have been revised lower across the continent this year, but do we have a sense as to how some of these economies have fared so far? And, and perhaps can you provide any data releases or data points that tell us a little bit more about what's going on on the ground? Yes, initially there was, of course, a lot of uncertainty just because of the unprecedented nature of the crisis. But looking at African economies, we have been able to learn from what's happened in Europe and Asia. And that's not just because the virus hit there first, but also because they are a lot more timely with their data releases. So we have been able to tweak our forecasts accordingly. But more recently, we have seen some GDP releases for Q2 in Africa, most notably Nigeria and South Africa. And in Nigeria, we saw the economy contracted by around 6% year-on-year in Q2. And this was actually a bit stronger than we thought because oil output came in a bit stronger and a lot stronger than what OPEC data suggested. And in South Africa, we've, we've had the benefit of monthly industrial and services data. So we kind of had an idea of how large the Q2 contraction would be there. But as you say, the focus now shifts to the H2 recovery. And just starting in South Africa, there does look pretty positive. The purchasing managers indices have all come in in expansionary territory recently. This means that Q3, the private sector started on a pretty firm footing. Most recently, the August figure shot up pretty rapidly, which is another positive sign. But then if you look at the subcomponents and respondent comments, still suggests that production is a lot lower than levels observed at the end of 2019. Just going back to Nigeria quickly, their purchasing managers index have not been that positive. And Nigeria has actually started Q3 on a pretty weak footing, remaining in contractionary territory. So that's a PMI reading below 50 points. And so while we expect technical bounce backs in both South Africa and Nigeria, these figures suggest that we can expect to see a stronger recovery in South Africa and perhaps quite a disappointing recovery in Q3 in Nigeria. Quickly looking at the third largest economy, Egypt, that's a bit more tricky because the government has been quite vague about when data will be released and there's been numerous data release delays. But we have seen that the unemployment rate rose to just under 10% in Q2 and that's up from just under 8% a year earlier. But there also, the latest surveys show that job cuts continued into Q3. And this also suggests that we could see quite a disappointing recovery in Q3. And then just to conclude, some of the faster growing economies also started Q3 on a good footing, specifically Ghana. It looks like economic activity has stabilized there. The country looks set to put in quite a good economic performance in Q3, quite a good recovery. And also in Kenya, also started Q3 on a very strong footing, according to their business surveys. And it was interesting to note that Kenya was one of the first countries to be hit by supply chain disruptions in March already. But it also looks like that Kenya will be one of the quicker recoverers this year. And Buki, several African countries will be having fairly major elections this year, including Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire. Tanzania and Burkina Faso. How do you think the pandemic is likely to affect the conduct of these elections across the continent? So in the initial stages, certain countries were torn between holding elections during the pandemic or postponing the election. And we've seen certain countries like Ethiopia choose to postpone elections for up to a year until health authorities can confirm that the pandemic is no longer a threat to public health. But for the most part, most governments have decided and most countries have decided to proceed with their elections as scheduled. But they're having to balance their appeals to the citizens to adhere to COVID-19 protocols, such as wearing face masks 
and social distancing, withholding mass rallies and campaigns that have underpinned the election cycle. So a lot of governments are conflicted because in order for them to win elections the way that they have traditionally done, they need to hold mass rallies of people and get the electorate excited. But at the same time, they're trying to get people to stay at home or socially distance where possible. What this means is that a lot of incumbents and governments are going to be judged by how well they manage their pandemic at the polls. A lot of opposition parties, for example, in Ghana, they've criticized every aspect of the government's handling of the pandemic during the election cycle, including decisions to carry out mass voter registration exercise that saw over 15 million people register. However, for the most part, what will be key to watch is election challenges in places like Mali have further highlighted the volatility of elections in the region and the pandemic will continue to heighten these concerns. So for a lot of businesses operating in the region, monitoring the elections will be key because they have the potential to pose security and operational risks. And back to you, Jacques. So you expect all African economies to do worse this year compared to last. However, inevitably, there have to be some growth spots Can you give us an idea as to where we could see some of this growth and perhaps a few sources of upside surprises? Yes, we think growth is going to be very scarce on the continent this year. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to how strong the recovery is in H2. And this is going to be a factor of how successful containment measures have been, because this would allow for earlier loosening and everything getting back to normal. And in this regard, we think you should keep an eye on Rwanda. They were really early to implement quite a strict lockdown. And also Rwanda had quite a lot of economic momentum coming into 2020. And I think that's underestimated factor because if companies are struggling coming into 2020 and you know, you're hit by this virus and lockdowns, you're not going to survive. But if companies were expanding and very healthy, you know, then you can endure a patch of you know, really bad economic environment. So keep an eye on Rwanda, but just generally speaking, It's going to be the commodity-dependent economies that are the hardest hit. But the flip side of that is then that the more diverse and services-based economies are expected to do better. And here we're looking at countries like Rwanda, like I mentioned, and Kenya in East Africa, and then Cote d'Ivoire in West Africa. From a sectoral perspective, agricultural sectors have proven quite resilient this year. And this is due to the limited impact that lockdowns have on agriculture. And many countries are still highly dependent on their agricultural sectors. So these economies will benefit from that. But I should also just mention that the locust infestation and flooding in East Africa are going to weigh on those agricultural sectors. But perhaps more exciting, and I think we'll get into it a bit later, some tech and finance sectors have also proven pretty robust so far this year. In fact, in Nigeria in Q2, finance sector grew by around 18% while ICT grew by 15% in Q2. So these were by far the strongest growing sectors outside of agriculture. But then just broadly speaking, at a more continental level, this is not just due to innovation-based growth in ICT, so perhaps some people forced to experiment due to lockdown measures. But the strong growth in ICT is also due to the expansion of traditional services such as finance in still largely underserviced regions. This is a trend we've seen in the past few years, and it looks like it's continued into 2020 despite the pandemic. And Buki, talking about bright spots, I think it's fair to say that technology has been seen as a real winner in Africa, much like as it has been across the rest of the world during this pandemic. How has this played out across the continent? 
We've seen record levels of foreign direct investment in tech. And when we say tech, we're talking everything from telecommunications to digital payments to mobile applications. What COVID-19 has done is highlighted plenty of problems for technology to solve. So firstly, if we look in the health space with contact tracing apps, health advice and self-assessment tools in countries like South Africa and Nigeria. And we've also seen central banks in countries like Mozambique and Ghana take steps to encourage digital payments as a means of maintaining social distancing. In Senegal, we've seen a surge of food delivery technologies. And this is not just from technology companies, but from traditional supermarkets and local farmers who have had excess supply due to lockdowns. They've had to create technology to be able to supply those excess food to people that need it. The most successful tech startups are those that have been able to recognize that industry in Africa is not really driven by the Silicon Valley creed of disruption, but really by need and by creating systems to plug the gaps that exist. However, the biggest challenge and at the same time, the biggest opportunity for growth in the tech space could be for African governments who have so far been the most resistant to tech. And they can use this pandemic to create solutions for longer term problems. So, for example, in the improvement of digital tax collection, especially as revenue challenges are set to worsen with the pandemic, but also in trying to distribute welfare payments to largely informal sectors and people that are unbanked, the government is having to create brand new technology systems, which hopefully even after the pandemic, they'll be able to maintain and sustain. And finally to you, Barnaby, the last article in this year's Risk Reward Index looks at the notion of disinformation campaigns. Could you explain what these are and why our listeners should be aware of these? So as Boshek and Bookie highlighted, Africa tech is one of the bright spots on the continent. It has been for a few years and the pandemic arguably gives a new impetus to this already rapidly expanding sector. And as, as Bookie's answer illustrated, the term Africa tech covers a huge range of activities, but what's underpinning it all and enabling it is the vast growth in connectivity that we've seen in Africa, mobile phone penetration, internet penetration, social media use, etc. And while this is enabling so many opportunities, it is also bringing new risks. And one of these is the increasing presence of disinformation campaigns or influence operations of malicious actors seeking to manipulate the public debate through the spread of disinformation or inflammatory content, typically through social media. Now, there has been a lot of coverage of influence operations and disinformation campaigns in international media globally. Think of the speculation around Russia spreading fake news ahead of the US elections, for example. And there has also been coverage of how external actors are targeting African countries and African elections with similar tactics. But the picture in Africa is so much more complex than it's often portrayed. There are a huge range of actors, both foreign and domestic, using these tactics in Africa. There are a huge range of different tactics being used, and not all of them are online. We have seen offline, real-world protests deliberately inflamed, or in some cases organized, by external influence operations. And there is a tendency, at least from some of the clients that we speak to and some of the companies we speak to, to assume that all of these influence operations and disinformation campaigns are in the realm of government v. government, all to do with geopolitics won't affect them. And unfortunately, this is just not true. Increasingly, and alongside the understanding of the political and security landscapes around a potential investment, investors will also need to understand the information landscape, what the narrative is, 
who is seeking to influence it, and how this may intersect with their investment. Thank you, Barnaby, for your insights and perspectives. And also Jacques from our partner at NKC African Economics. And last but not least, Bookie. Thank you once again. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.